Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And um, before we start, you know, I'm really I'm excited about today's message because one of my absolute favorite, not probably one of, probably my favorite, um, four-letter word is hope. <laughs> I just I just love that word because it it just, you know, with hope you have so much, and without hope you really don't have much at all. So hope is really important today. And when I had a chance to visit with Debbie, um, our guest today, I met her, gosh, at a gathering before COVID when we could all actually be in the same room together and hug. Um, I had a chance to kind of visit with her and and we agreed then that, that we would have her on the show and we'd talk about hope and how you provide it and some of the unique ways it can show itself. And and with that, we had a great conversation over the phone one day about the color blue, and we're going to talk about the color blue. I don't know if I understand it yet, but I'm sure I will by the time this is done. And blue is the color of the stone in my wedding ring. So, you know, it really touched my heart <laughs> to hear about that. So anyway, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, our guest is Reverend Debbie Taylor. Reverend Taylor is a licensed and ordained unity minister who is passionate about empowering people through all walks of life. Often when people are faced with incredible challenges, unexpected transitions, or in crisis, they feel unprepared, disconnected, or panicked even. That is how Debbie felt at the age of 10 when her mother died quite suddenly of breast cancer. Today and for the last nine years, Reverend Taylor has founded and grown her current company, Blue Acorn, where she sees individuals for spiritual counseling, guest speaks, and officiates. Debbie will also share powerful stories, research, and applications about how unique strategies provide healing and hope in working with illness, cancer, or other terminal diagnosis. The areas she'll discuss include rut thinking, and I have a hunch about that one, but I'd like to hear her her take on it, Um, signs and wonders, optimizing humor, trusting cellular intelligence, and invoking the powerful color of blue. And welcome, Reverend Taylor. Really appreciate you being on our show today. Good morning, Becky. It's my joy. I love these <laughs> topics, and so it's always fun. Great, great. Well, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about you? I mean, I've met your husband, obviously, um, but we'd love to hear a little bit more about you and, um, you know, what your what your life is like, you know, just kind of on the side, because, <laughs> you know, I get to, I get to meet our, yeah. all of our guests you know, by phone or, you know, in some way in person, but um, our, our guests don't have that privilege. So I would love it if you would just share a little bit. Well, sure. And yeah, I'm pretty sure I met you at one of their band gigs, the Carol Long yeah. band, <laughs> and uh, yeah. got to watch you perform at a Best Friends fundraiser. And so, yeah, I know you and Tom go way back here. Um <laughs> I am obviously married uh, 43 years. We have three sons, uh, one that lives in Paris, one that lives in Texas, and one that lives here in in the um, Oregon area. And I'm sorry, did you say Paris? Did you say one lives in Paris? Oh, (laughs) like in Paris, France, yeah. Wow, (laughs) that's cool. Um, Yeah, 
fell in love with a woman in high school, and they're still together and love it over there. It's wonderful. wonderful. And it gives us a good place to go. Um, (laughs) And I moved out here to the Portland area 13 years ago um, after living 21 years in Kansas City and uh, getting pretty entrenched in the community there. I also attended the Unity Seminary there. And had an opportunity, never, ever wanted to have a church as a senior minister when I graduated seminary. Had no intention. I was going to go back to the hospitals and hospice and keep working with their wellness programs and the patients. And had this wonderful opportunity, job offer, and to uh, be a senior minister of a church and took it and uh, fell in love with Mount Hood the minute before we landed. So, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty beautiful. Years. Yep. So, yeah. why did, can you just tell me for a minute what is a unity minister? Um, I, I'm just really, I'm not really quite sure about the the unity. Is it's sure. a church? I I don't really know what it, it is. what it's about. Okay. So, can you just tell us okay, a little bit so about in it? In a nutshell, the fifteen the fifteen second elevator speech here is that it's a very progressive liberal Christianity that uh, is considered more in the modern tradition. Um, so I, I found that back in the early 80s, and it just spoke to me because I had grown up in a much more fundamental type of thinking and was really asking a lot of questions about God. And alas, I stepped into a Unity Church for a completely different workshop and picked up their literature and never left and um, <laughs> read there for the first time or learned that I'm an original sin, not, or original blessing, not, not necessarily original sin. It's a very affirmative uh, type of Christianity. And their main point uh, is that there are many paths to God and that we must learn to respect and consider them holy instead of saying, you know, mine is the only path. And I should say unity was never uh, meant to be a religion, but because so many people were, were disillusioned or wounded or having troubles understanding and not feeling safe to ask questions in their communities, they gravitated to unity and now, you know, thousands and thousands of churches <laughs> are all over the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very accepting, very positive. Well, good. So, um, I, so I fell in love. And you've been there ever since. So, so how long I have you have. been connected? How long have you been connected with the Uni- with the Unity Church? Um, let's see. I left the Unity of Beaverton Church in order to pursue my own interests. But I, I think I walked in in 1981 to a Unity Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, then I was just on a hunger after that and couldn't get my hands on anything <laughs> fast enough. I felt pretty hard for it. Uh, <laughs> I think, Becky, the, the thing that leads us into today's conversation was, was uh, influenced by when I learned about the co-founders, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, your average folks. Um, Myrtle had been diagnosed at a young age with tuberculosis. And by the time um, she fought it and fought it and changed her, you know, had to adjust her life, um, they gave her a two-month prognosis. And at that point, 
uh, I believe this was in her early 60s, uh, she said, no, I'm not going to die in two months. And she, she sequestered herself away and began speaking to her body every single organ, every single day, every cell, you name it. And she did this for like six hours a day, every day, and, um, and was, you know, forgave parts of, you know, her history and her experiences and showed gratitude to every body part. And she was cured and lived to be 86 years old. And uh, her husband, who was extremely skeptical, but saw this, said, well, if you can do it, maybe there is something to this power of the mind. And he had always had a, a one leg that was three inches shorter than mm-hmm. the other and had always walked with a limp. And at that point, he decided he would give it a try. And he wrote about his uh, experiences, as did she. And uh, that leg grew. And so through, through positive thought, through forgiveness, through a whole lot of different things that I think we may be able to touch on today, that's when I said, okay, there's way more. And faith is a major component as well. Well, excellent. Um, so I know that you, you kind of, we sort of talked about this on the phone not too long ago, about the difference between being spiritual and being religious. And I, I know you wanted to talk about that a little bit because that was an important component of this to you. So can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I find that I am more spiritual than religious. Uh, I have very strong faith. My faith is very private to me. Um, and I grew up checking out different faith traditions. I, you know, did everything from visit the Foursquare Gospel or Pentecostal Church, uh, witness laying on of hands. I studied Native Americanism in great depth. Uh, I just started looking at the world religions. Judaism had my fascination for a long, long time. And out of that, I developed an understanding that it's not so much the man-made uh, patriarchal church that, and the rules and the egos and all that kind of thing that can happen. For me, it's about finding God in nature. You know, I've spoken with one man yesterday that said golf courses are my, are my church. And I said, absolutely. <laughs> if you find God there and you can pause and find your connection to the divine, however it is, or if you don't even want to call it the divine, Wherever you can find places that inspire you and make you feel hopeful and connect you and calm you, that's the spiritual component. And so I'm, I'm a big believer that we each need to find what that is. And for some, it is sitting in church Sunday morning and participating in volunteerism and so on and so forth. There's no right or wrong way to do it. That's the most important part. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I, I know, we, again, we've had some conversations about it. I, I'm just going to confess to our audience um, some of what you shared with me and then in the written documentation that you sent me. 
little bit of, I'm not even going to say a little bit, some of it's over my head. <laughs> so I'm going to really ask you to be patient with me as we, you know, kind of go through some of this because I, I, I think that the messaging is important and I don't want to interpret it or get it wrong, you know, and so I'm going to let you do most of the talking. But let's talk, I know people, especially people who have had cancer or who are battling cancer right now, maybe have been going through it for, I mean, I've been going through it off and on since 1996. That's a really long time to be dealing with this. That's a long time. It is. And, you know, we hear a lot about Western medicine versus, you know, just the the Eastern approaches. And, you know, and how, how does, is, is in your opinion, is there one of those better than the other or do they work together? What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, great question. I, um, I grew up, obviously, in the Western medicine mentality, um, and unfortunately, I got to the point where I would, you know, pop an aspirin before I would, or a Tylenol before I would even sit down and ponder, you know, what are some other ways? And um, so I started taking really hard looks at the downfalls and uh, the wonderful things, the benefits of Western medicine and started having those conversations with physicians, uh, particularly after I became a hospital chaplain professionally. And I would, I would pull doctors aside and I would say, what happens when, you know, all the machines in the world and, and all your studies don't seem to be hitting the mark? Um, it's mm-hmm. not enough. And a lot of them shared with me privately that, you know, how do you instill hope? when you're supposed to be in the, in the area of, okay, if we run this right test and we take this body part out and we treat this and that. And so that made me start also looking at Eastern philosophies, mm-hmm. acupuncture, polarity therapy, um, balancing of the energies of the body that get disrupted when illness happens or trauma happens or stress, uh, creating dis of the body, are there other things we can do? Does it have to be one or the other? And for me, it's a blend, uh, so much so that when I was in Kansas City, I, I got very, very involved with the physicians and the different hospitals as well as um, uh, a healing group of people and there were Reiki practitioners, chiropractic, you name it, acupuncturists. And we began having these dialogues, uh, ethical dialogues, and what to do, and how can we all support each other in expanding our awareness mm-hmm. and, and introduce these things without causing a, a patient to say, you want me to drink what? <laughs> and <laughs> you want me to lay on this table and put needles? Why? You know, and, <laughs> and it's such a matter of education. So I spent a lot of my time during those 10 years in the hospitals particularly at Children's Mercy, uh, a pediatric trauma center. I spent a lot yeah. of time going into the ICUs and the ERs and the neonatals and mm-hmm. introducing different concepts that people could do, like healing touch, therapeutic touch, um, affirmational thinking. Mm-hmm. And You know what, uh, Debbie, we're going we're gonna to take a short break. Good. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we can talk more about that. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. As always, I always I mentioned the four ways that you can be involved in our show. One is to, of course, share the link to the program. If you have friends that you think might benefit from what you're hearing today, share the link with them. Um, you can also go online and support Breast Friends in this um, program because we, you know, everything costs money, as you know. Um, and so you can do it either by texting. Um, the word BF Radio, which stands for Breast Friends Radio, to 41444, and that'll open up a screen that you will allow you to make a, um, a personal donation, or you could do it online at breastfriends.org, and you can actually make a donation right there through our website. Um, you can go to Breast Friends Around the Globe, which is a Facebook group page, and it, you can um, just sign in that way and then I have to accept you but that's easy um, and then once you're a member let us know who you are where you're where you're checking in from and where how you're listening to us and then fourth of course nominate yourself as a guest on our show um, by writing to me Becky at breastfriends.org let me know what your subject matter is and what you want to talk about and we'll uh, have a quick conversation and figure out when to plug you into the show so um, with that welcome back Debbie now I know just before we went out to break, we were talking about um, some some various aspects of, you know, the uh, global, I'm sorry, that's not the word I want, Western and Eastern approaches to medicine. And I want to talk to you about intention, if you don't mind, because I know that was a, a big part of your story. And, you know, it's really mm-hmm. understanding what does our life story have to do with our health? Mm. It has everything to do with our health. Okay. Um, 
uh, I can give you an account of my most recent aha, or what I call a cosmic two-by-four at the beginning of the new year. Uh, So many of us, whether it's a terminal illness or chronic pain, arthritis, whatever, so many of us will focus on what's not working. And um, it's just our human nature oftentimes. It grabs our attention. And so we will, we will sit and, for instance, I, I know that I, I have spent so much of my life waking up and kind of before my teeth hit the ground, I'm wondering how many viewers or, or listeners are going to shake their heads on this. Uh, before my feet hit the ground, I start taking kind of a quick uh, inventory, if you will, of, you know, okay, what hurts today? What's working today? But I, my emphasis as humans uh, is to focus on what's got my attention, which is the pain. And I'll just, you know, my foot hurts really bad today. Oh, it didn't hurt that bad yesterday. And there's this little inner dialogue that happens. Well, all of that goes into feeding into the intention and our story. And um, so my epiphany was, what if I stopped focusing on everything that hurt and I started giving thanks, like Myrtle did, to everything that works and, mm. and that I'm not in pain in those areas instead of focusing on the negative? Uh, and, and so I, I've been studying intention forever. Um, my dad raised us with, as a man thinketh through Norman Vincent Peale, and uh, he's got a very strong philosophy to that, and you can't help but learn that when you're, when you're growing up. And so staying very positive, my grandparents were the same, and uh, I started seeing where people that were living in their pain or living from their pain, emotional as well as physical, um, really seem to struggle with a whole lot more in life, their finances, their relationships, their body pain. And I started looking at the psychological, spiritual, physiological components, which is called the whole person concept. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's actually a term of the mind-body-spirit. And... What if we treated the whole person? And that's, that's more of a Western philo- or an Eastern philosophy mm-hmm. that, again, I was talking a lot to physicians and teaching in wellness departments uh, of let's set new intentions. Uh, and you, you said something about rut thinking, and I'm, wonder- mm-hmm. I'm curious what your, what your take is on that before I mention it. <laughs> oh man, you're gonna put me on the spot. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I'm interviewing the interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what it occurs to me when I hear the term rut thinking is we kind of get our our minds kind of mapped around something, and in our opinion, that's the way it is, and we kind of get into this little personal rut that of belief of you know different things. And boy, I'm doing a bad job with this. Um, no, and we just kind of get, we just get stuck there, you know, instead of thinking, like you said, instead of thinking about the things that aren't wrong, we, we, that's what we tend to do. And we kind of get in this rut of like waking up today and today my hip hurts and today my back hurts and mm-hmm. all these things, but we get stuck there and instead of focusing, you know, and, and I don't know why that's so 
such a natural tendency. Why can't we just automatically go the other direction, you know, and think about everything that's working right? Um, I don't know why we why we can't do that because that would be a far more pleasant place to be. I would think, you know. Um, so that's that's what it means. That's what it means to me. And I I don't know what what does it mean to you. You did great. That's not bad for nine in the morning. <laughs> um, it, it, so envision um, a little kid on a bike, which is us, and we're riding through a, a field, the school field, and it's raining. And as we go over the same trail, if we repeat the same kind of stories, uh, we focus on what's not working, for instance, then eventually, as that bike keeps going over that same trail, then it begins to cut into the earth and forming a rut. And eventually, our bike, our bodies, also have cell memory, have trails, if you will. So when that bike hits that schoolyard, it's almost like it's going to drop into that rut that's now, let's say, a couple inches deep. And it's very hard to get your bike to come up and out of a two-inch rut because old patterns and old habits, false belief systems are very hard to discontinue and then start a new new way to think. And so we have a tendency to be asleep and move that bike along until we crash. And then we get kind of awakened or, as I, again, said, this cosmic two-by-four where maybe we have a health crisis or our finances drop out or a marriage of 28 years ends. And now you've got our attention. And when we're made uncomfortable is when we really are at the edge of growth. And so many Uh people get to the edge of growth and Mm -hmm. pull back because it's uncomfortable. So they get back on that bike and by golly, they're going to ride it through and deepen that rut pattern even (laughs) more. So, you yep. did a good job on that. So, <laughs> well, thank you. Um, and you yeah. realize that that's, that's changing that bike path and using that imagery is very helpful. I've had to do that in my own life. Why do you think we resist it so much? Uh, the, the ego. I think it's yeah. very much the part where we are asleep to our own process. We're asleep um, moving from the subconscious into the conscious mind. And sometimes we don't want to be disturbed. Sometimes negative is better than nothing. And we'll just stay there until somebody says, do you know that you can have something different? I have a a private client who he said to me, so you mean to tell me I don't have to suffer all the time and base my entire life around that suffering? You mean I have a choice in that? And it's like, yeah. And he literally said, and just cried because he'd never known that. So he, he got out of that bike rut thinking over the course of some time. And he just, he is, it to me is a miracle to watch people have these epiphanies. You know, you always hear the, about pe- people talking about the fear of the unknown, you know. So we, we would rather know something, even if it's, Maybe this is how I'm interpreting this. Um, we would rather know something because it's not as fearful as knowing nothing. And even if it's not the right thing to know, we'd rather know that than than mm-hmm. just having no clue. It, it, did I interpret that correctly? Yeah, it's kind of like we live in this illusion a little bit that if we know 
everything, then we can head it off at the pass. Uh, we'll make different choices, which hopefully we would be doing anyway. And uh, suddenly, it's, it's a sense of control, especially when you feel so out of control. And mm. to be able to have that higher level of compassion for ourselves and just acknowledge it, watch it non-judgmentally, and then wake up even more asking, what are some other tools? For instance, setting intention and looking for glimmers, um, looking for the signs and wonders of the things that are going well. Um, life is supposed to be kind of like a the babbling brook where you go like that leaf that you sit there and watch that leaf go down the babbling brook of life. It's supposed to flow over the rocks and keep on going and just it surrenders to it. And when we're faced with something we don't understand or don't know, then we have a tendency to tighten up, try and gain control. And we think we have to do it all. Um, And again, that's another bike rut. And to be able to surrender and flow, you know, grace is like not having to push a builder uphill. It's going with the flow. So Mm. I use that often as another imagery for, am I in grace or am I pushing a rope uphill? Am I making it difficult? This just feels difficult. Yeah. Uh, And with cancer, that, that's the biggest challenges, you know? Health is such an eye-opener. Yeah, it certainly I, is. I have you know, a you story think... I'd love to... Yeah, go for it. I'd love to tell you, I am not just talking out, you know, just talking haphazardly. I, I have experienced um, several different times in my life when my health was all I could focus on. And so I have incredible compassion for uh, folks that are really facing difficult times. Um, I had, when I was very young, in my 30s, I had to have an emergency hysterectomy. And um, my doctor, a year later, I went back and I was still having right side pain. And he said, well, you've got adhesions that are growing, fueled by your horm- the hormones in your, you know, in your body that are left. And, and they're wrapping around your, your stomach, your bowel, your bladder. And we need to go in and get those out. And the only way to do that, can't take a pill, is uh, we have to go in and zap them out, interestingly, mm. with a blue light. And, and I said, okay, do it. We did. And I lived another year, pain-free, and then another year. I had to zap it out. We did this for four years. And wow. uh, each, each session got more and more intense. And finally, I just sat back and I thought, wait a minute. If I'm studying all this information, and I know the power of my mind and my intentions and my lack of forgiveness and looking for the glimmers and affirmational ways to live my life, I don't have to do this, and I'm going to be a myrtle. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, for the next six weeks, spent tons, constant time, energy, using all my senses, using imagery. I went down with my imaginary um, blue light and I zapped out like Pac-Man. <laughs> and, uh, and it turns out that on the fifth surgery, my physician opened me up and then said, I closed you because there was nothing there. 
And, and he said, I've never seen a miracle like this before. But there's nothing there. We don't have to do this ever again. Well, isn't that interesting? Wow. Been, isn't it yeah. so cool? So because I experienced that, and I've used that several other times, I, I went in and started teaching it everywhere I could, especially on the oncology floor and cardiac areas. Mm. And people are thirsty for hope. Yes. And that's that's it, what we're giving them and giving them that self-equipped tool. Yeah. And and hope can come in so many different ways, and and I we're going to go out to break here in just a minute, but um, and so when we come back from the break, I do want to hear about the blue light because I know that that's a really big deal, and I don't want to have you start and then have to stop you and then pick it up again. So let's just wait till we get to the <laughs> the next segment to talk about that. But um, I you know I was there more about rut thinking thinking because I. I really want to make sure that if, how do we know that we're in rut thinking? Can you give me the quick answer on that? Um, if it does not serve you, if it is not in your best interest is the best way that I can okay. tell. That's the same as when I'm in my ego. If it's taking me away from that place of agape love, so to speak, um, mm-hmm. self-love, right. uh, not self-narcissism, self-love, then it's right. no, not No, there's a difference, definitely. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we are going to go ahead and take and take our our last break. And when we come back, I want to I want our guests to hear about the blue light. I'm going to look at my blue stone and my ring when you talk about the blue light. <laughs> and I because I don't really, but apparently there's some science behind it. So I really want to hear about that. And I'm sure our, our listeners do too. So um, stay tuned. We will be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. 
You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with our guest, Reverend Debbie Taylor, and this has been a really interesting conversation because this is not a direction I normally go on my show, and but we like to explore all perspectives and all you know people's thoughts on on various aspects and anything that produces hope can produce healing. And I believe that. And right now, you know, given my my condition with cancer and and how that it's metastatic and it's kind of all over the place now, um, I really need I need that sense of hope. And so anything that that I can grab hold of that encourages me and, you know, and I have I have my own spiritual beliefs about God and where God fits into this picture. And I know that he's got me one way or the other. He's got me in his hand firmly. And um, and I do believe in God for healing for me. And um, I just, you know, so anyway, I'm thankful that you came on my show today to help me understand this. So I want to talk to you mm. about the color blue. Now, you know, you, people use the term, oh, I'm feeling blue today as a not a good thing. And yet, there are so many beautiful shades of blue that how can anybody look at blue and not be happy? So uh, I'm looking at my wedding ring and it's <laughs> got a blue stone and it's beautiful. My husband said it was the color of the dress I was wearing the day he met me. And so when it was time Aww. to put a stone in it, he wanted a stone that matched my dress that I didn't have anymore because I couldn't fit wow. into it anymore. <laughs> but we've been married That's over four years now. That's a wonderful story, though. Yeah, isn't that fun? That's awesome. So, so yeah. tell me what, what did... What does it mean to think blue? What does that mean? <laughs> so that um, that is a follow from intention and um, affirmational thinking. As I mentioned, that that little blue Pac-Man that I was talking about um, from the days of the Mario Brothers mm-hmm. uh, video games, and we can all envision that little cell, the Pac-Man going in, and it's that that ultraviolet oh, yeah. <laughs> blue. And to be able to um, see that, that image going in and kind of chomping on the different areas that are weak in the body, that because our brain waves are uh, changed, when we spend 20 minutes or longer, it needs to be a minimum of 20 minutes. Neurophysiological um, computations, if you will, will adjust. Uh, and tell the body where it is weakest and it needs to go in and do some more healing. So it's like the um, cortisol levels and amipamine levels drop as the dopamine levels rise, but you have to go the 20 minutes. It can be any color, and it can change during. I have all these questions people have asked over the years. And if you can go in and focus on the color blue, the blues, for 20 minutes or longer, you can actually affect, I read this years ago and then found it fascinating, so I went and researched a whole bunch of different studies and learned it can affect shorter hospital time, shorter need for a hospital stay, uh, up to three days, and uh, less physical scarring, less need for anesthesia, so you're not quite so dopey mm. when you come up and out. Less pain overall. Um, it it reduces blood pressure and anxiety levels. Um, to take it a step further, it, it's used uh, bathing 
blue light has often replaced uh, blood transfusions for premature babies that are born. There's like mm. 30,000 a year that are potentially finding that they're responding very well to neonatal jaundice. Uh, it's been, the color blue is such a magnificently powerful color. And uh, the, the best story I can give you is there's a couple, but I have a, you can find it on my website at the end. I'm sure we'll go there. But there's a story about uh, a friend of mine named Bob who was diagnosed with a very rapid cancer in his throat. And he was given uh, three weeks to say everything he needed to say because they were going to radiate him very intensely every day to see if that would work. And um, he called me one day, our kids were friends, and we got talking and I said, would you be open to learning about blue? And I'd been teaching it for years at that point. And he said, okay, this is weird, but I'll try anything. And so I went over and spent a lot of time with him, teaching him, guiding him through a meditation of breathing in the blue whatever color comes to you, and taking it through every one of the cells and down the throat, filling the nasal cavities, so on, filling the lungs, and expanding to the areas where perhaps your cancer is or the chronic pain is, and radiating that area with blue just as, and don't stop. If your mind wanders, you bring it back non-judgmentally, using every one of your senses, they even make blue glasses at a store here in town that you can put on so that everything you see is blue to help you with immersion in it. Uh, they've painted the London Bridge, uh, Blackfire Black Bridge, blue because it's the number one bridge in London where people jump. And so they painted it blue to see if they can get less people, you know, that it'll calm people and they'll, they'll move away from that. I mean, it's, it's being utilized everywhere. It is such mm. a powerful tool, and I've used it myself. Um, the best example I can give you is a 15-year-old young man came into the ER at the children's hospital, and the doctors called me out and said, okay, we don't understand this, but go do your thing. Teach him about blue, because they had seen it work. And they said, we need you to keep him talk- busy because we can't give him any medication he had been shot um, with a shotgun and had 56 pellets in him Ooh, of depth, oh. different deep, deep levels. And they could not anesthetize him because they needed to stick a probe into every one of those holes and get an idea of the pain and the damage, neurological damage. So they had to keep him awake pain with no pain meds. And so he and I made eye contact. I said, I'm going to need you to trust me. I took him on a guided imagery. And we went for two and a half hours while I just kept talking to him and holding his hand. And he just, he kept going with me. And um, it had been a drive-by gang shooting. And um, so the next day I went and saw him. And he was sitting up and he said, I've been looking for you. I don't understand what you did, but I have to tell you, that's better than any street drug I've ever had in my life. (laughs) Wow. But we got him through the, the hours of it and have I've used it in labor and delivery for women, uh, cardiac rehab for that heart chamber, um, pneumonia and bronchitis, going in and wiping out with a blue broom 
um, wiping out the blue cobwebs that are hanging and dangling there like the phlegm painting blue inside that area inch by inch. I mean, you can use your imagination. Norman Vincent Peale also wrote a book about imagining and how that, that and combine that with faith that it can be different, it can be better. Some call it spirit. Uh, however that is, you put those two together and they're incredibly uh, powerful tools and can affect healing. But again, it doesn't just happen once. You have to keep going and going and going over it. And you have to want it so bad that everything else just kind of waits. Forget about the laundry, unless you're seeing it <laughs> as blue laundry. Yeah, exactly. But you have to give yourself that time. Yeah. And so you said you said there's 20 minutes, right? Did you say 20 minutes minimum? Did I hear you say that earlier? Minimum. Mm-hmm. Minimum. Okay. Because it takes there... about that long to get our minds to settle down, stop thinking about what's going sure. on outside. Did I switch? Did I turn off the toaster? You know, all that kind of stuff. And settle in. And again, every one of your senses. Invoke every one of your senses. Yeah. You know, um, Earlier, last time we spoke on the phone, you know, you were talking about unique, unique displays of hope, things that, that, you know, because we all, we all need hope and hope reaches us all differently. It speaks to us all differently and different things that we do speak to that whole concept and idea of hope. What is, I I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question, so I'm just going to ask you and if you don't have an answer, that's okay. (laughs) Okay. But because we're good at that, right? So what is mm-hmm. what is the the most unique form of hope that you have ever shared with someone who's maybe going through a really difficult physical um, challenge at the moment? You know, when you think about unique displays of hope, what what is the most unique thing that you think that you can think of that's ever that you've ever done or you've ever heard of anyone doing to help support someone through this time? So you're asking for the caregivers. Or yeah. you're asking for the yeah. person themselves, as the uh, as the caregiver, or you know, someone who's just trying to provide support mm-hmm. to someone who's going through a difficult time. What is that unique mm-hmm. show of hope that you can give? Um, just an exa- just an, as an example of one, if you can. I would I would something. have to stay with Think Blue because it's not just hey Think Blue, you know. It's again. Check the rut thinking, set new intentions. It's, it's got moving parts to saying mm-hmm. think blue. Um, it's using your imagination. It's, it's restoring um, the natural way of things in your body systems. They're so out of balance with all the stress that's going on in the world. And then on top of that, you get a diagnosis where you're the, the, you know, your beloved has been given a diagnosis. And you mm-hmm. feel that helplessness. And this is right there at your fingertips. It's instantaneous. And, and to be able to, as you're doing the guided imagery or you're talking, it may be awkward or whatever, but to start with that imagery and as you're speaking it, if I'm talking to the caregivers and family that want to do something or friends, um, getting that person to slow back, slow down, to be able to focus because that, that's got to be the most awful feeling to hear the big C word, and then you just scatter into the worst thinking. And yeah. um, to have that's, that person that's putting it so that's much well put. to stay with me. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Hearing that the big C word, you know, it's it's one of those things. I mean, we all have to face, you know, we all face difficult things in our lives, you know, different times of our lives. But but there is something kind of special about that C word that, <laughs> that makes it unique. Yeah. I think it's because even if we don't have it, we haven't heard those words for ourselves. I think everybody at some point in their lives will know someone who has faced that challenge. And chances are it'll be uh-huh. somebody that that we are close to. And so it's it will somehow touch all of us at some point in time, probably. And, you know, that, so that makes it a kind of a scary word from that perspective. So it's not just for ourselves, it's for the people that we love. And it's like no one wants to, no one wants to think about that or talk about it. And it, it is a scary, you know, phrase. And um, so, I, yeah, I just, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I know we are almost that out of time here. That would focus on expands. Yeah. And if we, yeah. if we, there's a, there's a fear in us that gets activated and then we back that up with adrenaline and cortisol levels that spike. And so we're creating a cell memory in there at that very yeah. point and we store those, especially if there's trauma or shock involved. And it's like, we don't know as human beings how to get rid of that. Yeah. And what if it is, is, is something that you do have tools to be able to do that with? And, uh, to be able to instantaneously bring someone hope. Uh, I got, I've gotten into so many debates with doctors about, do you say, hey, you've got two months to live, or do you not? Oh, I've do told them I never life? want to hear those words. I, it's no. not because, because I don't want to believe it's not true. I just don't want to lay around and wait to die. So I've told, exactly. uh, I've told all and my care does, practitioners I never want to hear life? those words. Yeah. And do yeah. we have the right to take another person's hope away is a conversation no. <laughs> for a radio show all by yeah, itself. That would be- and I don't believe we do. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Listen, we are almost out of time. We only have one minute left. I want to make sure everybody knows how to reach you. Blue Acorn is something that you, um, it, that's your your counseling kind of service that you that you offer. Is that mm-hmm. right? Uh, okay. And how yes, can they reach you? Quick email. Quick they email. can do uh, www.blueacorn.org, like Oregon, yeah. and uh, you can find out more about what Blue Acorn. You can click on for some other radio um, interviews That's all the time about I have. healing. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm out of time. That's so, okay. Uh, we will be back next week. Until then, remember, there is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.